of people who are unhappy at work. And we know that at least some of their suffering is caused by the fact that the workplace doesn't always feel like a safe place. When people don't feel safe, they become guarded. And when people get guarded, they disconnect from each other. Disconnected people create disconnected teams. And that is really bad for business. I'm Candace Pentiato, and I lead a company called The People Side. We help companies get to the heart of human performance and improve team dynamics through an experience that we call the leadership living room. In the living room, we help teams reconnect with each other and have a better, more deeply human conversation. On this podcast, we are going to invite in business leaders, executive coaches, and leadership development experts to explore the conversations that people rarely have at work that impact the way people work together every single day. Welcome to the Leadership Living Room. Hey, humans, it's me, Candace Pentiato with The People Side. Thanks for joining us today in the Leadership Living Room. On today's episode, we're going to talk about trust. This is something that every single company wishes they had more of, and every single interpersonal relationship depends on it. And so we are going to help you really think about why trust matters and how you might actually create more trusting relationships in your organization on today's episode. And you're actually going to have a chance to talk to a leader who we've worked with or hear from a leader that we've worked with who had trust issues on their team and and to talk about what a difference it made when they when they really addressed it head on and what a what a impact it had on him as a leader to watch the outcome of high trust conversations on team performance. So I, w- I read a lot in our industry and try and take in as much information as I can. And there is just a thread, a red thread going through everything I'm reading these days. And that is around trust. I, I just got done reading this research from Gartner. And they were studying the uh, risk of change fatigue among employees in 2020. And their research suggests that it's doubled. Um, change fatigue has doubled this year, which makes sense. Uh, and the two anecdotes to this fatigue were trust and team cohesion. So trust and team cohesion are the two things we should be working on if we're starting to notice a lack of well-being and fatigue among our employees in 2020. But they're not alone. That's not the only research I've read. From Project Aristotle at Google to Brene Brown's research in, in Dare to Lead, you see that trust is a condition, a prerequisite for performance. Now, many people come to the people side and they want to work on something that's happening or seems dysfunctional in their organization. But what they haven't noticed is that that thing that they want us to to work on is a trust problem. So let's just play a little game. Uh, this might remind you of a old Jeff Foxworthy comedy skit, but it's a, uh, you might have a trust problem. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to show you if you're watching this on YouTube, a list of signals that you might be working in a low trust workplace And uh, let's see if any of these sound familiar to you. If you are noticing that people lack candor and they are not speaking directly to each other or there's not a lot of feedback, open and honest feedback that's being exchanged in your organization, you might have a trust problem. If people aren't making decisions or taking action that you think they should be empowered to do, you might have a trust problem. If you're only seeing kind of evolutionary ideas or safe ideas instead of revolutionary innovation, you might have a trust problem, right? People aren't taking risks. People aren't, aren't putting themselves out there. They're not investing in relationships. They are protecting 
themselves. You might have a trust problem. If you yourself are feeling like you're defaulting to perfectionism, righteousness, gossip, skepticism, uh, finger pointing, you might have a trust problem. If you see favoritism, elitism, power over, yelling, bullying, and threatening in your workplace, you might have a trust problem. And those things have to be addressed by speaking directly to it. And that is what we do. Uh, that is that is a huge part of what the people side is known for, is being able to facilitate conversations, high trust conversations that amplify trust among people. So in Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he presents this model to us to consider. Um, and this model is one that says, well, if you want results, which are at the top of this pyramid, or you want accountability, commitment, or you want people to engage in conflict, you have to start with trust. Trust is at the foundation of that model. And so we like to assess teams using this model and let them reveal to themselves where things might be broken. And I have yet to work with a team that doesn't have an opportunity in the trust department. Now, how do, that's a big word. Like trust is just a, this gigantic word. What does it really look like? I like to think about it this way. Each and every one of us has a trust fund that we're managing, and we have a trust account with every single person in our life inside and outside of the workplace. And that trust fund is something that we are either making deposits, investments in with someone, or we're making withdrawals. And so, you know, when I hear people say something like, you know, it's not personal, it's just business. Well, it's not possible that that is true because people only have one brain. So if you treat them one way at work or they have an interaction with you that feels like a big withdrawal, it is personal. Um, we can't compartmentalize. As a, as a human being, your brain is just wired to notice whether or not someone or something is a threat. And if you've made a big withdrawal from me in a meeting, if you made a big withdrawal by not thanking me, if you've made a big withdrawal by, you know, we've been working together for a year, year and a half, and you still don't know whether or not I'm married or have kids, that can feel like a withdrawal from my trust fund. So we help people really break down this big, hairy word of trust into these four trust funds that people are managing. So this is the type of, ex of trust that we extend to each other at work. I'm going to quickly just describe these four different funds to you and have you think about who in your workplace you do and don't trust in this way. Okay, so here's the first one is capability. Do you trust this person that they can do the job that they've been hired to do. So this is what we call can-do trust. Capability is can-do trust. I think you can do this. I think that you are capable of it. That's can-do trust. The second kind of trust that we extend to each other at work is credibility trust. Not only do I think you can do it, but I think you will do it if you say you're going to have it to me by Friday, if you say you're going to follow up on that. If you put your word on the line and you go, I'm going to I'm going to do this. Do I or don't I trust that you are? 
that's capable. That's credibility trust. That's the say do ratio. What's your say do ratio with me? How much credibility do you have? The third kind of trust that we extend to each other in a professional environment is candor. And candor has a little bit of a nuance here. So candor, I trust you're telling me the truth. So I trust you're not lying to me. But the other little nuance of this is I also trust that you're not hiding anything from me. You're telling me what I should know. This one is a real dynamic that I run into, which is when there isn't feedback and we don't, we are just very polite or we are operating a state of just toxic optimism, people start to wonder whether or not you're telling me what I should know or you're just hiding anything that's ugly, anything that you think would scare me, anything you think I don't want to know. And so that, that hiding of information is a withdrawal from the candor fund. The last one is, I trust that you won't hurt me. And this is a deeply personal kind of trust. I trust that you won't take credit for my work. I trust that you won't damage my reputation. I trust that you won't say something that will sting me and make me feel small. That's, that's care trust. The bottom two, we tend to feel a lot more personally. Candor and care. You're, you're lying to me and you're hurting me. Those feel even more personal than you didn't do your job or you didn't do it on time. Those are more professionally focused. But when any of those are depleted, when the bank accounts are low in any of those areas, dysfunctional behavior starts to manifest itself in an organization. So as we look at this topic today... I want you to keep those trust funds in mind. I want you to be thinking about uh, the impact of those deposits and withdrawals in your own life and in your own workplace. As you listen to the story of a very real team that I had a chance to work with a a, a couple years ago now, um, but we've actually worked with them over time. And when they recognized dysfunctional behavior, that it was a signal to them to do something about it. And this isn't going to be handled by a training class. It has to be handled by a high trust conversation. And so you're going to meet John, who was the leader of that team, and find out what really happened, what we did together, and the result that it had in his organization. I'm really excited for you to meet John. Go grab a cup of coffee or nestle in those earbuds because this is going to be another great conversation in the leadership living room. How are you today? I am doing good. It's so good for you to be here and to see you live from Jonesboro, Arkansas. That is that is right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am excited to have this conversation with you because you have a very real world example of why trust matters in the workplace. Um, maybe let's take it back even before you and I ever knew each other into just a little bit of background about you as a leader and Maybe the story leading up to how you and sure. I met. Yep. Uh, so right now, I'm the leader uh, of a plant of about 200 folks that makes some of the country's most beloved breakfast cereals. Now, on my team specifically, there are seven folks. On the broader salary team, there's an, another about 25 total of, of us. Now, um, I've been at this location before about the time that you and I had met about three years. Yeah. 
all of my experiences is in food, uh, in food manufacturing. Over 26 years, all in food manufacturing, either Fortune 50 or Fortune 500 food manufacturers. Um, and, you know, like any team, we were having some, some friction, some issues uh, amongst the, the seven of my, my direct reports, if you will, that kind of led us to kind of reaching out to, to you and, and, uh, and the people side. So you, you mentioned this friction that you were feeling. One of the things I think is really important is for a leader just to even diagnose or notice mm-hmm. dysfunctional behavior among a team. What were you seeing that made you think, okay, there's a problem and I need to fix it? Yeah, I, I wish I had seen it sooner and recognized the scale of the problem. But let me just start by taking a step back and talking a little bit about kind of my style and who I am as a leader. I'm a very collaborative leader. I involve my staff in a lot of decision-making, big and small, in their function and without. And whether it's solving day-to-day problems that come up in the, in the you know manufacturing environment or it's longer-term stuff, I involve them in a lot of those discussions and debates. Yeah. And uh, along with that so- comes some disagreements, right, in uh, how to proceed on how to address something or a new policy change. Uh, You run the gamut, gambit, right? Uh, So plus you add in a couple new team members to the mix. Of my seven, there was three of us that were relatively new um, uh, on the team. For a really long time. Yeah, I'd been there three years, uh, but we had uh, three new team members. Yeah. And that changes the dynamics a little bit, obviously. So over several months, there had there had been some moments of conflict and friction between a few of the members in particular. Yeah. And some I observed, some I wasn't part of. So I spoke with each one of those folks individually and they felt at the time, hey, we got this. It's nothing major that we, we can't work through. Yeah. Um, you know, and they were comfortable proceeding. But then in January of 19, I got a call from my manager at uh, who was my manager at the time. Uh, and evidently there had been additional issues that had been raised to him through our uh, HR group, right? Uh, in general, uh, a few of the members of the broader salary team uh, felt that there, that, they, that there was some friction as well. Not just a couple, three people on my team, but it had now grown to include additional members of our salary team. It did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what was dysfunctional at the head of the organization? That dysfunction was starting to contaminate a larger population of people. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and at first we, you know, I saw it as a just conflict management issue of not necessarily having the skill sets as a team Mm-hmm. or certain individuals be included to really work through some of the conflict that normally some teams would just brush off and move move past. Our team couldn't. And just give you an idea of some of the themes. Some of the broader staff felt that their opinions and perspectives weren't valued as much as others. Yeah. There were some folks that were you know, frustrated that they were getting interrupted in, in meetings or in discussions. 
And there was even a, a, a feeling of the old boys club that two or three members on the, what I call my leadership team, my direct reports made all the decisions and didn't include everybody. Yeah. That was what I heard when I spoke with my boss in January of 19. Those are some really big and highly relatable <laughs> challenges. I mean, what was your reaction when you started to realize like, oh my gosh, I have this to deal yeah. with now? <laughs> At a range of emotions. I certainly had the feels. Uh, I was surprised. I was worried. I was bummed because I consider myself a, a very collaborative leader. Uh, and unfortunately, my first reaction was anger. I was angry at the person or persons who had, had seen or experienced these issues, but didn't bring them to me to help resolve them at the time. And instead, you know, compiled them and, and fed them up to, up to my corporate group. Yeah. But I got so past that. Broken between you and the team then too. It, it, I don't, I, I don't know if I'd say that I was, yeah, maybe it was a little bit, right. It was certainly tested at that time. Uh, but that gave way pretty quickly to jumping into action and knowing that, okay, I've got a problem. I get, I get paid to fix problems and I'm just going to tack this like any other uh, manufacturing problem um, that we have to handle. So, you know, granted I was surprised because some of these incidents I had no knowledge of um, and, and therefore I was learning about them for the first time from my boss. And I was also I was unsure of how I was going to proceed. I knew I needed to take some immediate action, yeah. but based on the conversations with my manager, it was clear that the, the problem was much bigger than just a sit down conversation with a handful of, of folks. Uh, it was in a systemic kind of behavioral norm that had been created, unfortunately, that had to be addressed. Yeah. So what did you decide to do? Well, First, you go through you know that range of emotions. I started questioning myself. How could I miss these things? Uh, was I not asking the right questions? Was I not plugged in enough? You know those sort of things. But I broke the problem down into a couple couple pieces. I knew there was an immediate conversation that needed to take place. I needed to one mend the working relationships that had been strained. No doubt, I needed to break the perception of the boys club making decisions and not valuing others' opinions. Uh, and that led to the third component, which is I, need, I needed to show folks that all perspectives uh, are being heard and are valued. Um, so you know, I, I was a little bit, I won't say handcuffed, but I was asked by my, my manager and corporate HR, not, not to go speak, with a few individuals who had raised these issues specifically, they just wanted me to focus on moving forward, focus on getting the problem fixed, resolving things and, and going forward. So I first just had conversations with uh, those folk, the, the, the three or four folks that um, had, I don't know if complaints is the right word uh, about them. I had to sit down with them first, bring them up to speed, be very clear about what the, behavioral expectations were uh, and whatnot. So that was where I started. Yeah. And was that working to just talk to them as, you know, as individuals or what happened? Uh, after that? Yeah, it took 
several conversations over the better part of two or three days, right? The initial conversation, let that soak in. We decided to come back and talk the next day with each of the individuals as if they had a chance to reflect. You know, there was also on their part, a range of emotions that, hey, I wish whenever I made somebody feel that their opinion didn't matter, I wish they would have told me at the time because that was not my intent. Or, you know, yeah, I remember that incident, my interpretation of it's different. And we, ha- we just have to try to work through those. At the- what was all said and done, those interactions were, were creating friction and conflict and, and holding the team back. And it was not helping us build that inclusive environment that we really expect. Yeah. So multiple conversations, but that really was just the start, right? I, we knew, at least I knew, we had a bigger systemic cultural problem across the, the salary team, my team being at the heart of it that we had to fix. And it couldn't just be fixed with a few sit down conversations. Right. Um, so we needed a more comprehensive effort yeah. for my team specifically to help us improve. And again, at the time I'm thinking it's just basic conflict styles or communication styles weren't meshing. That's what I thought that root, cause was. I think even the first conversation we ever had with you, you were hypothesizing about what kind of training we could do or what kind of assessment work we could do. And, and we sort of pushed you into considering a a very different type of experience for your team, right? Way beyond team building or training into a team working session in the leadership living room. Um, Let's just talk a little bit about (laughs) <laughs> I mean, talk about trust. You had to trust us so much. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. And, you know, building trust, an important part of that is extending trust, right? And I, obviously, you know, I had to internalize all the feedback that I had gotten from my team, from my manager and so on. But you know, we reached out to you February of 19, our first conversation with you and Claire. And yeah, I mean, I still have my notes. I'm a voracious note taker. I have notes of of all my interactions throughout the day. I still have those notes. And it was literally team building exercise, start working through our issues. And then you can see my notes change to your comments about the leadership living room and the, you know, the five dysfunctions of teams and the foundations of trust. And those that, that, where you led us very, very quickly um, in understanding kind of where we should start with my team in particular. Yeah. So let's just maybe, I'd, I'd love for you to take us through from your point of view, what happened in the leadership living room with your team mm-hmm. and maybe the, the impact that you saw that have. Uh, well, I, yeah, let me take a step back though first because in we, we our, our team was very we we knew there was a problem. I didn't hold anything back from the team. I brought my my seven direct reports together. We talked that hey, here's what I'm considering doing: getting us offsite, using you know a third party to help us work through some of our issues, um, and obviously that put the team. Yeah, that's unusual. Yeah. It, yeah. The team, it got, certainly got their attention. It's like, Oh boy. You know, um, they didn't know what to expect. And honestly, what I did was 
you know, after working with you and Claire on, on the tee up and the positioning of the offsite, we were very purposeful and not telling them the whole agenda, all the activities yeah. and the nitty gritty, but just more of the general scope, right. Or desired outcome of the, of the offsite, the leadership living room. And we didn't get into a lot of specifics. So there was, you know, my team in particular, the folks that, you know, had gotten the tough feedback were antsy, nervous about how safe would this environment be? Could they really speak their mind uh, or would they be the target? And, you know, would it, would, it, would, would it stay in the room or would it be held against them? It was this just gambit of, of emotions that they were having as well. But when we get there uh, in the leadership at living room, you know, it was, you and Claire did a really nice job of just kind of putting everybody at ease pretty darn quickly from the setting, the attention to detail, um, just being so welcoming is a word that, that I would use um, and my team used that day. It really let us, everybody kind of get their, take their guard down a little more quickly. It didn't fall completely, you know, in the first 10 minutes, but they could put everybody at ease is a good start. Um, we started around a breakfast table. We did. It was pretty neat. It was very casual. Uh, I, I led by setting the stage on what my expectations were from everybody in the room, that they needed to be all in, that we were here. Nobody was a spectator. Nobody was there just to listen. Yeah. We were there to solve our issues or at least start that process. Right. I was also clear with the group, even before we showed up, this is not a one and done type of set situation where we just go off site, we get dipped in training and we go home and and everything's fixed. Yeah. This was a a start of a process for us. So. Yeah. It's interesting because creating those conditions for a high trust conversation, we learned how important that is, right? Because people do come up, come into them with their guards up and they're defensive and they're, Mm -hmm. A feeling threat or the possibility of threat because we're kind of taught to avoid these conversations in the workplace. This sure. Usual. Even just the fact that it's unusual makes it yep. a threat to us. So uh, your team did, and, and it actually was modeling vulnerability from you and, an, and a surprise from one of your teammates. I remember somebody who we were worried wouldn't maybe appreciate the offsite experience uh, and that that person was one of the first ones who just jumped in with some personal vulnerability and disclosure. Yep. And it was such a tone setting for the entire rest of the day. Yeah. That, uh, that first sit around the, we were all sat around a round table, right. Having breakfast, uh, having that high vulnerability, very low risk though, type of discussion, right. That activity that you had us go through Everybody opened up very, very quickly, uh, and that set the stage for more, you know, uh, progress as the day went on, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, One of the things that we did is we assessed your team uh, Mm -hmm. using the five dysfunctions model, and you were able to get your results and, you know, in bright red. Yep. You came out as red, yellow, and green on on, on that model, but in bright red at the bottom of that for your team was trust. Yeah, that was, no, no, I'm certainly not just speaking for me because obviously my team and I, we debriefed after the event. We had multiple meetings uh, in the four or five months following. And 
the one of the biggest takeaways for us as a team was we had a high levels of professional trust in one another, basically yeah. saying, Hey, I trust that you can and will do your job. Yeah. But we had very low levels of personal trust in one another that I trust you won't hurt me or hurt my reputation along the way. Uh, and I don't think any of us would have framed the problem that we were facing in, in those terms before the leadership living room. Not a chance. Yeah. Um, so that was a huge that was a shift. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. Yep. So we saw what I can only describe as a transformation in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, relationships being healed and hard things being said. It was a very vulnerable and important conversation for your team. Yeah. What are some of the highlights for you as you think about that conversation and, and like what were the most impactful parts of it that helped you address the trust issues you were having? Um, yeah, so again, because we had several weeks in lead up of, of people's apprehension and worry and nervousness, um, I, it was nice to see that melt away as the very, very quickly. And everybody was, was, uh, very engaged and involved and that they, I didn't see or feel that anybody was holding back, that they were bringing them whole, their whole selves, yeah. their opinions, um, and perspectives. And they wanted to get it out into the open so that we could address it. You know, um, as you can imagine, uh, the, the, there was one particular team member who was about so nervous about every feedback activity, right? He was just so wound up about giving and receiving feedback. And, but the environment was so welcoming and so safe. And, and that's in large part because the way you and you and Claire uh, facilitated, it was a non-issue, right? He, he got himself so worked up and nervous. And then once we go through all of it, uh, he was one of the most uh, positive about it and, and encouraging that it, it helped him understand how he was viewed by his peers, Absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, getting some things off his chest. Yeah. Um, you didn't just leave it there though. No, no. Right? I mean, we created some commitments as a team and yep. you, uh, you uh, as a group made some promises for how you were going to behave from that point forward. Tell me about like after that, the, the if that was maybe a pivot point for your team was mm -hmm. the living room. What was, what has the rest of that journey been like for your group and, and where are you now? Yeah. Um, so in that day, that leadership living room, right. We, in addition to working on trust, really starting that work, right. There was, yeah. uh, we talked about what are our ground rules for treating one another? What are our, um, I guess, desired conflict culture? Because we know all great teams have conflict. It's how they handle them effectively, right? Constructive conflict is yeah. the key. We're, we're not, we're, we don't, you know, we know we're going to have conflict, but we wanted to have defined for ourselves in our mind's eye what our desired state of conflict uh constructive conflict was going to be. So in the immediate days and weeks following the, uh, the leadership living room, you know, we, we, we committed to come back as a team every month for a day, get off site uh, and just dedicate it to our team. 
one of the other big learnings for us as a team during that offsite, what the first one with you, with you and Claire was we had to put our team first, mm-hmm. not our functions. So we couldn't put the, you know, the ops function or the quality function or the maintenance and engineering function. Yep. We, we had to put our team, the eight of us first mm-hmm. and fix our issues, create uh, kind of be- repair those relationships first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we committed to do. So we met every month. Met, we met in uh, May, June, July. And that's when we engaged you and Claire for another leadership living room, but this time expanding it to our operations supervisors and our maintenance manager. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, this is this has been something, I mean, those those conversations that you invited us into, you know, that, and I I really felt like I was in the sacred space with you and your team. I mean, there was a lot of very honest moments, mm-hmm. um, but it has been a commitment in an everyday way to build upon what happened yeah. in those moments with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I didn't mention that. So, you know, making that commitment to, to, to meeting once a month is only the scratches in the surface. The real magic happened in the day-to-day interactions uh, that occurred once we got back to the plant. Now, now it took some repetition of every day for the first couple weeks after um, our first leadership living room of just reminding everybody of the ground rules we discussed, you know, and, and agreed upon as a team and, the feedback that we gave each other and received from each other and the commitments we made to act on that feedback. One thing in particular was about interrupting others or talking over others in a meeting uh, when we could meet in person in in bigger groups and not have to do it over the phone. Uh, And that changed very quickly. That behavior changed almost overnight. So, you know, we have a morning meeting with 10 or 12 people in the room every day talking about the prior 24 hours performance and those meetings would get, it was always sidebar conversations, discussions, debates, sometimes two or three people talking at once that ended pretty quickly. Once we agreed on new ground rules for behavior um, and recognized that that was not a comfortable environment for everybody in the room. Yeah, absolutely. Your, um, your ability to build trust is you know, what we, the behaviors that we expect and what we tolerate mm-hmm. every single day. Right. And so I think that you guys got really clear about the moments where we are undermining trust Yep. and that we started to hold ourselves accountable for just limiting or in some, some cases eradicating that behavior as right. a norm on our team. Yeah. Yeah. And I could tell there was some guarded behaviors where in the past, Folks, what we, challenging one another was not an issue for our team. It was just not done constructively, right? And, and when there was friction, we didn't go back and resolve it after the meeting. Uh, so that was a, a, an issue. But th- so again, in the few weeks immediately after the leadership living room, you could tell people were a little guarded and weren't really ready to have tough debates or disagreements. Yeah, And that's natural, right? As we were kind of using a new skill or exercising a new muscle, yeah. uh, but it did get better over the subsequent weeks. And then again, as we met just as a leadership team every month throughout the summer, 
uh, it got even easier for us to to have open debate and and contradictory opinions. In yeah. fact, we tackled some very clear problems because we wanted to practice that new skill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, this idea of being candid and caring. Yep, I can say hard things, but I'm not. It's not. You're you're going to feel whole when mm-hmm. we're done. Um, you're yep. gonna, you're not going to feel like I just um zinged you, zapped you, whatever that, that, that little sense we get of like, yeah. Oh, that didn't feel good. Um, yep. You can do both things. Both things can be true. You know, yeah, in um, fact, that was one of our ground rules that we created challenge directly, but care personally. Mm-hmm. We were getting a lot of people being challenged by one another, but we weren't showing that we cared about their personally, their opinions, their perspectives, their hot buttons. Yeah. And that's something we agreed we would change. Absolutely. You know, you guys have had a great year as an organization. I mean, mm-hmm. the world has needed um, manufacturers like you to create the cereal that we ate more than ever with all of our kids home all day long. Sure. Um, do you, how, how does the investment that you've made in creating a stronger, high-performing team at where you've really emphasize the importance of trust. Did, did you see the payoff in a year like this? Yes and no. I think far more examples of yes, where we're not perfect by any stretch of imagination. Uh, and, but when we have to react to such a quickly changing market and environment, you know, sometimes you don't have the ability or the time window to get everybody involved in this decision, get everybody's perspective and move forward. But because we had done so much work about building trust, not just with my team, but the greater salary group, when the pandemic hit in March and April, and we had to basically throw our plans out the window and make decisions almost hour to hour there early on, we had earned some kind of latitude, if you will, uh, with folks and, and that, yeah. yeah, they made some decisions for quick. I didn't necessarily get consulted, but I totally understand the decision they made, why they made it and why they had to do it so quickly. So a year earlier, we would have gotten none of that latitude and rightfully so because yeah. we hadn't earned it. Yeah. yeah. When we talk about those trust funds that we're managing, what I'm hearing mm-hmm. you say is good thing we had made so many deposits. Oh yeah. Just sometimes under pressure, I we made some withdrawals. Mm-hmm. But it's it, important to make those deposits when you can. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not the only part of it, right? I think because we had worked so hard last year on building trust. Yeah. And learning on some of the constructive conflict pieces, because that was the second step that we took upon ourselves during the summer in those offsites is learning constructive conflict. When there was clear disagreement on the course of action during this past summer with, with COVID and whatnot, it never got personal. It never, we never hurt broke that trust where people felt like, Oh, they're doing this to undermine me or my function. It was, we have to do what's right for the, for the company. Uh, Even if that means my function is hurt, but it's the right thing to do for the company, then we're going to do it. And yeah. that's was a direct result of the work that we did last summer, for sure. That's so good. You you definitely dug the well uh, <laughs> yeah. um, early on. If you had to, if you had to share 
with another leader who's listening to this podcast, Mm -hmm. what you've learned through that journey that you think is really important. If I'm a leader right now that says, wow, I think I've got a trust problem on my team, or I'm noticing some of these functional behaviors on my team. What would you, what would you say? A couple things. First off, so if they've already recognized that there's some issue, right? That was, that was one of my main problems. I didn't recognize the issue soon enough or how big it was soon enough. Yeah. But had, you know, for those that already sense there's something issue with their team, you've got to address it when it's small. It's not going to solve itself necessarily. It usually is just going to get worse, particularly if your team members are, you know, adding new people to the team and so on. Address the, the issues when they're small, get external help to help you facilitate through that it's unbelievably invaluable. As a leader, your first impression, your first instinct is I can fix this and I'm going to try to fix it myself. But you have positional power in that position, right? And sometimes your team is going to do what you say and, and because you said it versus an outside facilitator like the people side leading them to the, the conclusion themselves that we have to get better. We're going to get better and that's, we will all benefit as a result of that, not just because my boss is telling me to, but because it's the right thing to do for all of us. Mm-hmm. I'd be the first thing I'd tell them. I think in our second offsite with you and Claire in August of 19, we had kind of grown past the trust piece and on to, to other components. But I think this is an important thing to remember that it's not the ultimate gauge of a team's success is it necessarily who's on the team, right? It's much more how those team members interact with one another. Yeah. It, get, it gets back to that um, example of Project Aristotle by Google, right? They spent millions and millions of dollars trying to understand why some teams succeed and some fail. You know, Google's the 15th, 16th largest company in the world. Yeah. And they had they wanted to solve that problem. And they looked at, literally hundreds of teams, dozens and dozens of different variables. And the one thing that they found, which some of you listening may not be surprised at all, that the best teams, the most successful teams are mindful of that all members on the team contribute to the conversation equally. They are respected and respect others on the team and the emotions of, of one another. And that gets the ultimately the best results. So keep yep. that in mind uh, when you really are trying to address inter inter team issues. Yep. It's rarely just one bad apple or one you know person messing things up. It's a it's a probably you know how people are teaching treating one another. Um, and again, that gets down to eroding the trust that may have been there originally or never there. Yeah. Um, I couldn't agree more with what you just shared. That research opened my eyes to the fact that what so many leaders are looking for is a high performing team, people who you can hand any problem to and they'll go fix it, solve it, right. be engaged in it. And that the barrier to that are the conditions that we either are creating or not creating sometimes mm-hmm. as leaders to say, can you trust each other? Are you safe here? Do we respect each other? Yep. And so um, 
I love that you tuned into that on purpose. It's been a pleasure to have your team as part of our um, Leadership Living Room alumni and just and just seeing how far you've come in, in your commitment to building strong teams as a leader and saying that that's really at the heart of your business for how you're going to succeed. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. The work is not done. It continues to this day. We continue to meet every month as a team, right? To, to keep building trust, building on it and, and going from there. Absolutely. It's an ongoing investment yep. in, uh, in the people side of your business. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, John, for being with us today in Leadership Living Room and sharing your journey and building a high trust team and a, and, a, and a high trust organization, even beyond your organization, just recognizing the impact of leadership and, and how it will spread, good or bad, um, across yep. your organization. So I appreciate your time, my friend. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. All Glad right. to do it. Take care. Say hi to the group back in Jonesboro. Likewise, say hello to Claire. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us in the Leadership Living Room today. We really hope that you found this conversation to be valuable. If you want to learn more about this topic or you want to lead this conversation with your team, Go check out the show notes for this episode. You can also help us reach and teach more leaders in the world by sharing and subscribing to this podcast. That way we can tell you when new episodes become available. My team is on a mission to humanize the workplace one leader at a time. So we invite you to learn more about what we're doing by visiting our website at www.thepeopleside.com.